This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined to talk about these prospects in the upcoming 2019 draft with a guy who gets paid to talk about them all year long for a living. If you're familiar with Turn on the Jets or Bleach Report, you know this gentleman. He is one of the best out there, Mr. Connor Rogers. What's going on, Connor? Hey, Scott. Not much, man. Or should I say too much? How are you doing, dude? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm glad to have you on. Of course, you are the co-host of Stick to Football with Matt Miller over on Bleach Report, and you are going to be doing the live coverage of the prospects and the draft all the way up through round five with Matt Miller this year. So really excited for you, man. Yeah, it's awesome. We can't wait. I mean, we've been preparing for this this draft class specifically for about 10, 11 months now. Saw a ton of these players on the road at various games, Senior Bowl, Combine, you name it, we've been around it. So it's nice to put a bow on what's been such a fun year for us over at Bleacher Report and Stick to Football and and cover pretty much the entire draft. I mean, we're going to be doing it where we're going to have an event Tuesday night at the Bleacher Report office for listeners to come listen to the show. And then Thursday through Saturday, we will be live on Twitter and YouTube and the Bleacher Report app covering all these picks. So let's talk about the guys that are going to be the picks that you're going to cover during the Bleacher Report coverage, and we'll start with the guys that most think are the top three in this draft, but you disagree, and we'll get into why. The first one is Nick Bosa. A lot of people have him as the number one prospect in this draft, and you agree. Why? I mean, I think you see the entire package, and the only concerns you really have are health. He he tore his ACL in his last year of high school, and he had core muscle surgery that ended his season this year. So when it comes down to it, I think in terms of on-film talent and athleticism and football character, he checks the boxes at elite levels. That's, you know, really special. And I know a lot of people like to talk about him coming from a football family, and some people like to mock that being praised. But it does matter. It shows the bloodlines are there. And I think when you look at Bosa, he's done a little bit of everything. He's got really, really strong, powerful hands. He can convert speed to power. For a guy with his build and size, he can turn the corner and get after the quarterback. And honestly, the most underrated aspect of his game is – He is a top-tier run defender. So when you look at Nick Bosa, when he's on the field, he's a special player. Are you concerned at all about his lack of an elite first step? Not really, to be honest with you, because I haven't seen it impact his game. There's some guys that need it to be productive to get after the quarterback. He doesn't. I think when you're that strong, and I don't think he's necessarily just a straight-line kind of guy. I really don't see that in his game. I think when you go back and see the steps he's taken from when he got on the field as a part-time player his freshman year to being a full-time player his sophomore year, and even when he had a couple games before he got hurt his junior year. I see a rounded-out game. I I compared him to Justin Houston, honestly. I think he's close to his style of play. And they honestly you know, kind of run into some of the problems in terms of health and that stuff, which is unavoidable. But in terms of how productive both are against the run and effective as edge pass rushers, these guys have it. So you don't think that his short arms and his lack of a elite first step is going to hinder him at all at the pro level? You think he'll be fine against the top-tier tackles that he's going up against? No, I mean, and if you look at his split numbers, they're, they're elite numbers. And then when you talk about the arm length, I haven't seen him affect him because he's not a guy that has won with length. He's a guy that's won with leverage and hand usage. And I think when that comes into play... It, sure, we can criticize his arm length, but can we talk about the guy has almost these monster hands that are just under 11 inches? So, And you see it on film. I mean, you see him drive guys backwards. Uh, I've called him a guy that just never loses leverage. I mean, he always wins inside. And once again, when you can convert speed to power like that, 
it, it changes everything you can do. Because I also think he can win to the outside with speed. I, I do think he's pretty explosive off the snap. So I think a lot of weird narratives get created about elite prospects because people are looking for reasons of why they won't succeed. And, and a lot of times those people end up looking wrong. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's talk about the guy that many believe is the second best edge rusher in this class, but you don't, and I wanted to know why. That's Josh Allen from Kentucky. Some people have him ranked as high as number two or number three in this class. You have him ranked 19th, and you have a couple of other edge rushers ahead of him. Can you tell me why that is? I think he's just raw right now as a pass rusher. I actually really like a lot of the things he could do as an off-ball linebacker. I'm very impressed with his athleticism uh, in coverage. And, and I think overall, yes, he can get eaten up on the outside against the run a little bit. But I think it's been exaggerated at times. But I think when it comes down to it, as a pure pass rusher, he's a guy that wins with the outside speed rush. I haven't seen a ton of counters. I haven't seen really overwhelmingly great leverage. I haven't seen an array of pass rush moves where he's overly creative, especially against the high-level competition. I know people love the numbers, and he had a marvelous season. He made really, really big steps from you know his junior year into his senior year. He could have declared after his junior year and been a second-round pick, and a lot of teams liked him as an off-ball player then, once again, because of that athleticism, the things he could do off the ball. It's you know, I've seen the Anthony Barr comparison thrown around before, and the, how they're going to be used, that wouldn't shock me for some teams. Now, I do think teams would love to tap into that pass rush ability and tap into that ceiling that he has, but he just hasn't met there. He, re- he really needs to round out his game because it, tackles will catch on to that at the next level. Those guys that constantly win are going on the outside. Now, he is somebody with, you know, smaller hands, and I, I don't, overlook too much into that but you do see him lose leverage at times so Allen's a really good player if you, I've said this before if you're 19th on a big board you're a really good player you're a first round talent he carries a first round grade there's a lot of ways he can help you win but I think a lot of people are assuming he's an automatic double digit sack guy and I think that's very dangerous because he hasn't reached that point in his game 
When I watch him, what I see is a guy that has a wide variety of pass rush moves, but doesn't necessarily know when to use which ones, and that I think yeah, is plan. an important pass thing. rush plan. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think is going to have to be fixed at the NFL level, and I do think that he has inconsistent hands as well, something else that will have to be fixed. But you see him potentially, if he doesn't get his pass rush house in order, being an Anthony Barr type off-ball linebacker possibly? Oh, I definitely think so. I think when you look at his skill set, it's very impressive. I like to call these guys sometimes flat erasers or even guys that can run up and down this, like run down the seam. That's very, very impressive with him. And that's things he can do. I mean, you look at how he tested, you got to like the numbers there. He's right around a four, six, 40 yard player and at over 260 pounds, six foot five. That's very, very good. So he does have very small hands. He doesn't really have a ton of length. Those are serious questions in terms of how he plays up front. But the Anthony Barr comparison is so perfect for him because he's a hybrid player. Can he chip in and maybe give you, you know, five sacks a year as that outside speed rush kind of guy? Or maybe in a defense that lets him attack a lot, maybe even get that up to seven or eight sacks? I mean, Scott, we've seen Jordan Jenkins put in seven sack kind of years in the NFL. But in terms of being an elite pass rusher, there's still things that he really needs to work on. I I think even at times you see the leverage against certain tight ends. That's where it really stands out to me because – Sure, sometimes you're not going to overpower tackles, but you can really catch it when he loses against tight ends at times. So I think his recognition skills, too, and it goes back to what you said of of not really knowing what to do. Maybe that's his pass rush plan. It needs to get better. He did stay to his senior year, so he's not he's a young player, but he's not one of these guys that didn't see not a one year wonder or anything like that. So you hope you can coach those things up with Josh Allen and get him to reach that immensely high ceiling that he has. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Which pass rushers do you have above Josh Allen besides Bosa? Oh, let's tap into this right now. I, I know off the top of my head, Brian Burns is one. I, I just look at Brian Burns, and I think the way he's rounded out his game has just been absolutely tremendous, honestly. I think he's somebody that he was once again, you know, billed as a speed rusher when I watched him over summer, but he did a lot of good things this year. He was only playing at around 230 pounds. He goes into the combine at 250, so he got that weight up. He tested with the weight. He's just He wins with length. He could really... Winning with counter moves. I mean, the spin move that he has is absolutely tremendous. And the balance that he has while executing these moves is unbelievable for a guy with his length. So when you look at Brian Burns, I compared him to Harold Landry from last year, a player that was in my top 15 on my big board. He only fell because of injury concerns, medical concerns. That's not going to happen to Brian Burns. So when you look at that, I mean, teams are going to love this guy. Super high character. A quarterback hunter is what I like to call them. He's totally twitched up when he could bend around the corner as well as anyone in this class. And when you're that big and you have that kind of length to do so with the counter moves, all you have to really do is get more strength on this guy to play the run. But teams are not going to worry about that. So I love Brian Burns, and I do have him over Josh Allen. 
I know he tested well at 249 at the combine, but does it worry you that he can be able to keep that weight on and be as explosive on a consistent basis at the NFL level? Because for me, I know that it's a risk that you take with some of these smaller guys, but that high in the draft, I might be a little bit nervous about it. You wouldn't be? No, it's always a concern. It was my biggest concern. So I went down to Miami, Florida State this year and saw him. And I mean, the guy looks like a, a small forward. He's that tall and that long. And you see the, the lankiness with him. But that's kind of a good thing that maybe he actually has the frame to add on, to keep on these, keep on this way. Now, I don't think he's going to play at 250. I really don't. I think he'll play between 240 and 245 and be just as explosive. But you can stay at that weight and get stronger. And I really, really think he will. So, of course, the weight and strength concerns, I don't think he's ever going to be this Nick Bosa caliber run defender. That's not Brian Burns' game. But he can be that explosive, twitchy pass rusher that is going to look like a lanky guy on the field, but a guy that's going to win against offensive tackles. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's talk about interior defensive line for a second, which I know a lot of Jets fans right now are cringing hearing that. But there are two very highly rated prospects at the top of this draft, Quinnen Williams from Alabama and Ed Oliver from Houston. You have Ed Oliver ranked above Quinnen Williams, which is unusual. Most people, including myself, have Quinnen Williams rated ahead of Oliver. Can you tell me why? Well, I, I explained this on Stick to Football that I have Ed Oliver second overall, Quinton Williams third overall, and they both carry early first-round grades. So I think people overreact to how things are stacked. These are both phenomenal players with huge upside. Now, I do like I do have Ed Oliver over him because I think his ceiling is just higher. I, I think at the end of the day, Ed Oliver is a rare kind of defensive lineman. Now, so is Quinton Williams. I compare Quinton Williams to Fletcher Cox and Ed Oliver to Geno Atkins. I mean... I think when you look at the ceiling that these guys have, they're so quick off the ball and they can shoot gaps and they can absolutely disrupt the pocket or blow up the run game in the backfield. And I think when you look at Ed, I just see special athleticism. And Quinton Williams is a great athlete, an absolutely phenomenal athlete. But with Ed, I I see special rare athleticism, elite athleticism that I I don't really, I don't want to speak down to the coaching staff at Houston but they did a poor job getting the most out of a five-star top recruit player that chose to stay there, chose to go there. So, I mean, they played him at shade nose all the time. I don't. He ate double teams, triple teams. They did him no favors. The talent around him didn't necessarily help. I think Ed Oliver put out pretty good film with the hand he was dealt. I think if Ed Oliver went to a powerhouse program and was played as maybe a three-tech or a five-tech, it would have been a much different story because he would have had more talent around him. He would have actually saw one-on-one in his life. You look at all three years of his film, going back to his freshman year, that's another thing, too. People love to watch just one year of the film. When this guy this guy was a little banged up this year, a special, special player as a freshman, really turned it on as a sophomore. And I thought the junior year of film was fine. It just didn't have the stats that a lot of people like to see. So 
I love Ed Oliver. I think he could be a game-changing defensive presence. I think the same could be said for Quinn and Williams. And I think a lot of people are over overthinking these guys, honestly. I know a lot of Jets fans don't want Quinn and Williams at three. I don't see how anyone could be against that with the kind of talent he is in this class compared to everyone else. And the same could be said for Ed Oliver. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I'm not one of those Jets fans, Connor, as you know, that is against Quinn and Williams at number three. In fact, my position is if he's there, you should take him. My worry with Ed Oliver and why I have him ranked significantly lower than Quinn and Williams is that Quinn and Williams has instincts and technique that he's shown off that you haven't seen from Ed Oliver yet. Just perfect technique that translates to the next level. And with Ed Oliver, a lot of times he doesn't seem to have that football awareness. And on top of it, his technique can be kind of sloppy. I know he has that athleticism and that upside but that doesn't worry you at all you wouldn't have Quentin Williams ranked ahead of him because of that no I don't think so I think that the technique concerns with Ed Oliver are a little blown out of proportion yeah it's definitely not perfect and I think when you look at Quentin at times he's absolutely flawless but when it comes I just don't have those concerns and I I know it's weird because I feel like I've had to explain it so much and people are, are dying to get a reason why I think the problem that I have with this class is that both of these guys can be special players, and for whatever reason, only Quinton Williams is viewed as the guy that's a special player. Now, since Ed Oliver has his pro day, I'd say 70% of those doubters are magically on board all of a sudden, which is absolutely absurd. Why wasn't he a top guy before that? I laugh at that. He's started out number two on my board, Scott, and he hasn't done anything to damage his stock to lose that spot. Now, Quinton Williams, a one-year starter, has done everything to come for that top two. But I'm just, I'm not going to move off of a guy that didn't damage his stock and I still believe in as a special player. And I could, the same could be said for both of them. Yeah, no question. I just think that when you look at, say, somebody like Leonard Williams, who was a similar prospect to Oliver and had some sloppy technique and some things to resolve, he's turned into a very good player in the NFL, but maybe not that elite player. So I think if you're a Jets fan, maybe you look at that and say, well, Quentin Williams has this picture-perfect technique, and he's displayed these instincts, and so he's a much safer bet. And a guy who, like you said, Connor, has a very high ceiling as well. So that's why I personally would rank him well ahead of Oliver, but I could totally see what you're saying. But with Leonard Williams, I'll say this, who I loved coming out of that draft class. He's not even on the same planet in terms of athleticism with Oliver. I mean, you're talking about nearly a 5-second 40, a vertical under 30 inches, and a 7-5-9 three-cone. And when you look at Ed, I mean, it's just it's just different. I mean, it's a 7-1-5 three-cone, a 4-7-40, a better split. So I liked Leonard Williams. I I think the testing was disappointing there. And that's when you have a guy like Ed and you see, okay, I see it on film, play after play. I believe a coaching staff can get more out of him. Let's talk about the offensive line because the Jets obviously have a need there. Now, they may be able to get by mostly with what they have for one season, but this is kind of a patchwork group, and they're going to have to look towards the future and make some investments, which they haven't really done over the years, and it's been a big problem. There could be an opportunity here if they trade down. You've got guys like Jonah Williams. You've got Garrett Bradbury. You've obviously got Jawan Taylor. Tell me about those guys and maybe some other offensive linemen that you might have your eye on if you were the Jets, whether it's trading down in the first round or even getting somebody in the third round and beyond yeah when you look at the offensive line group it's interesting it has to come into play if they do trade down a guy i talked about earlier would be my ideal target in that scenario and brian burns but if they truly want to build this unit in front of sam Darnold through the draft 
you, you pray that Jonah Williams falls as far as you trade down because he could be an elite center. I still think he could be a very good offensive tackle of the future. Calvin Beecham's not going to be here forever as solid as he's been. So when it comes down to it, I think if you trade back a couple spots or even into you know that 10 to 13 range, you hope you can get a guy like Jonah Williams. Now with Jawan Taylor, here's the interesting thing with him, Scott. I truly believe he's a right tackle or a guard. And I'm also a believer that they don't need to panic to replace Brandon Shell. They have way bigger worries on this offensive line right now. So, uh, Jawan Taylor, I don't think he's in play for the Jets. I-, I thought he was solid this year. I think the top 10 talk is absolutely insane. He's a nice player. He's probably a top 30 player, but I just don't see an elite offensive lineman. I see a pretty good one, especially at potential at guard. So, I don't think he'll be in play for the Jets. And then Garrett Bradbury, a player I absolutely love. He's my top-ranked center. If they went back maybe with you know the Redskins at 15, I think Garrett Bradbury has to come into play there. I think he'd be a plug-and-play center with the right attitude that they need. He's he, great, great getting upfield and, and just nasty, really nasty. So when you look at the kind of run style that they want to provide for Le'Veon or the running attack they want to plan around Le'Veon Bell, I think Bradbury would be an awesome addition. I don't think they'll take him in the top 12 picks. I don't think anyone will. But I think if you get to 15 and beyond, he has to come into play. Now, you get to the third round, and this is fascinating because you've got to wonder, who's going to fall? Everyone always reaches on offensive linemen. Andre Dillard, Cody Ford, those guys are all going to be gone. Now, somebody that I keep hearing that is falling is Yadni Kajus from West Virginia. Really good athlete. I thought his film was really good, but there's some character concerns. And it's not that he's a bad guy. It's that he's lazy and he's hurt. And I think... When those things come up, it'll cause good players to fall to the third round. So I look at Yadni Kajus, and and I really like him. And if he fell to the third round, I would be all over that if I was the Jets. I think he could be a really good guard for them next year. And then you go through some other names. Chuma Adoga from USC, a guy at the Senior Bowl, a really, really good player, has the same concerns as Yadni Kajus. Is he going to be hurt? Is he going to be lazy? Is he going to put in the time? Now, I'll say this with Adoga. If the Jets take him in the third, fourth, fifth round, or they can get a fifth-round pick back, Sam Darnold's going to have to sign off on that because he played with him. So you'd feel good about that if they took him having Sam's blessing. So I think it's interesting with the Jets because everybody wants a center. This it, They're in a weird range. They're picking too high to take a center in the first round. They're not going to probably get one at the top of the third. Those guys are going to be gone. Jonah Williams, who could play center. Garrett Bradbury, he'll be gone. Eric McCoy, he'll be gone. I, I mean, Elton Jenkins, he'll be gone. The list goes on and on and on. So when it comes down to it, you know, can you move a guy like Chris Lindstrom or Connor McGovern, the guys from Boston College and Penn State, are they even fall that far? I don't know. That's hard to predict right now. So the Jets are in a weird place where I keep saying you got to find a way to move down and get a second-round pick in this draft because then you could take a guy like McCoy in the second round or if you take Bradbury in the first. It just leaves your options much more open. When I look at Jonah Williams and Jawan Taylor, I personally have Jawan Taylor ahead of Williams because I see the athleticism and the quick feet, and I think that if you have a good offensive line coach, you could turn him into something really, really good. And with Williams, to me, he seems kind of like a finished product, and I don't see elite athleticism. He's a good one. Certainly, no question about it. I'm just saying I think that he may just be a good offensive lineman, whereas maybe Taylor could be a great offensive lineman. Is that fair? I think that's totally fair. It was my one concern with Jonah Williams is that it's like, it, you know, how much better can he get? But then you get through everything and you go, well, he's really, really good. So it's interesting. I, I With Jawan Taylor, yeah, it's a projection. It, that's what's fascinating about this class. Some of the top guys are all projections. DK Metcalf, he's a projection pick. He has great athleticism. He only played half the year. 
Does he have some great film? Yes, he needs to complete his route tree, and you, there's more you'd like to see from him. It, there's so many guys in this class. Noah Fant, a projection pick. Dawson Knox never caught a touchdown in college, and he's going to go in the top two rounds. So these arguments can go on for days, and they're all really fascinating, and some teams are going to look really, really smart, while some are going to come out big-time losers. Connor, I know this is your busiest time of year and you've got to run in a couple of minutes. So just to wrap up, talk to me a little bit about some of the guys that we haven't talked about yet in terms of guys the Jets might want to keep their eye on if they trade down in round one and some guys they might be able to snag in the mid to late rounds after round one. Yeah, I'm curious to see if they go after wide receivers in this class because when you look at how the board falls, the late second and early third round, Scott, there's going to be a lot of good wide receivers coming off the board or sitting there looking all those teams in the face. And, you know, some of my favorites are going to be there. I really like J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford. I think he'd be the red zone target that Sam Darnold needs. You always like to add speed. Robbie Anderson is a great vertical threat. But when it comes down to it, you always like to add more and more speed as insurance. And I meet Nicole Hardman from Georgia. I'm trying to figure out where he goes. I think he's talented enough to go in the second round. Can he make it to them in the third round? Would they even be interested in taking, you know, another wide receiver after they've kind of, not loaded up at the position, but they have their three set in stone there. But those are two players that I really, really like those guys. And then I think when you go back to center, it just goes back to, can you get a second round pick to take a center or take Garrett Bradbury in the first with a trade down? Those are the things I keep coming back to over and over again. I'm not convinced this team will ever find their answer at the edge pass rush position. I'm really not. It's amazing. It's just, we're waiting year after year. There's not much there in the second round in this group. I, I don't think Jalen Ferguson or O'Shane Zimenez would necessarily be the answer. Christian Miller from Alabama, if he fell to the third round, that second third round pick, which was the Saints third round pick, I know he's been hurt, but the film's really good. I would take a swing on him. I don't know how teams will really you know, value him because of how serious the medical problems have been. So the Jets are in an interesting spot. I mean, they still need a second tight end to be an inline guy across from Chris Herndon. There's going to be answers in this class. And I think for the Jets, they're actually in a better position than a lot of people have made them out to be. So to sum up the number three pick, you would take Bosa if he's there. And if not, you would take Oliver or Quinn and Williams, right? Yeah, it's as simple as that for me. If if Bosa's there, you take him. If not, I mean... I wouldn't be mad at either one between Oliver or Quinn and Williams because I think both are going to be Pro Bowl talents. I think for this team, I would explore taking Oliver and using him as a versatile piece up front because you just gave Henry Anderson a pretty good amount of money. You keep, you're keeping Leonard Williams. You can play those guys at multiple spots, but I think Oliver would be even more versatile. I think he could even line up outside on the edge, honestly. It sounds crazy. He weighed in at 281 in his pro day, a couple pounds down already from the combine, so... I think he can get lighter and lighter, and it would create a really interesting scenario for this Jets defensive line. He is the co-host of Stick to Football with Matt Miller over at Bleacher Report, and as you heard, he's going to be with Matt Miller as the co-host of Bleacher Report's live coverage on draft night. Connor Rogers, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you or where to get the broadcast draft night, why don't you go ahead and let them know. Yeah, of course. We'll be live during the draft uh, at Bleacher Report on Bleacher Report's Twitter, Bleacher Report's YouTube. Uh, we'll be tweeting it out from my Twitter, at Connor J. Rogers, so, and it'll be on the Bleacher Report app. So at Stick to Football, we'll have everything as well. Scott, thanks for having me, man. It's always good talking to you. Thanks so much, Connor. Appreciate it. Hope you'll come back after the draft. Make sure that you go ahead and watch his live coverage with Matt Miller on draft night. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and Turn on the Jets dot com.